This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger. I'm here with producer Jason DeFilippo. Here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. And of course, it's Fan Mail Friday, which means those questions come from you. Jason, I saw the dumbest thing over in Europe at an airport last week. Um, You know, we talked about this earlier on the show. Ads, they sell emotion. And advertising sells only emotion if something truly lacks value, right? So what what episode were we talking about that? Where it was like you can sell benefits, but you also have to sell some emotion. But if something has like no value, you have to sell only the emotion. So it's like beer and Yeah, that was a while ago. We'll have to go dig that one up through the uh through the archives. But I know what you're talking yeah. about for sure. Yeah, so I saw this ad for camel cigarettes and it's like it starts with imagination. I'm thinking like, yeah, you got to imagine smoking isn't slowly killing you. Yeah. You know, it's it's so stupid. It's just so this vague, it, it just became totally comical that there's all these bright colors and like logos and hand-drawn whatever. And it's like imagination. What are you imagining when you're sucking down a cancer stick? Really? Yeah. Using one of those little gadgets to stick in your throat so you can talk like a robot when you're oh. 80 years old. It's so sad, and it's just like it frustrates me to see stuff like that. Like I'm, I'm a capitalist at heart, but man, you know, look, some things you're not you're not on a fair playing field here. That's one of the things right. that I'm surprised you saw over there because I figured they would have gotten rid of that a long time ago, like we did. We don't have ads like that here anymore. We, you no, know, you, cigarette yeah. ads are gone. Do you remember when you were younger and you would be driving or, or like riding in your parents' car and you'd see like a Newport ad and it would say something like, you've come a long way, baby. And it's oh, yeah. like, well, I mean. Yeah, all the Mad Men era type of cigarette ads with like the guy dapper in his suit and the, you know, the woman just hanging off his arms like, you know, in a cloud of smoke just going, yeah. oh, baby. My aunt used to smoke, and her oldest son, he used to wear, like, Newport T-shirts and Newport hats, because you would buy packs of cigarettes, and it would, like, come with a T-shirt, mm-hmm. and it would come with a hat, and it would be packaged in there with a carton of smokes if you bought them, and it's like, there's all these pictures of my cousin, he's, like, 12, and he's wearing a Newport <laughs> T-shirt that's like, you've come a long way, baby, or, like, cool, you know, with a K, yep. those cheap ones, and I'm just thinking, no kid, I mean, imagine a kid going to school with a tobacco product T-shirt now, I mean, immediate, like... 
parent-teacher conference. Oh, yeah. But back in the day in my high school and in junior high school, kids were wearing Joe Camel shirts all the time, like three-quarter sleeves. Remember those with like the, the yeah. different colored sleeves and a big Joe Camel on the back smoking? That was that was right. normal back then. And it's like, oh, no, we didn't target kids, though. Yeah, no, no, no. no. We're, not, we're not going for the youth market at all. Never. No, no. Adults love cartoon animals. Mm-hmm. That's the, Yeah, adults always buy things with cartoon <laughs> animals. Oh, my gosh. All right, let's cut to it. Hi, Jordan and the rest of the AOC crew. I've been bestowed with one of the most prestigious and simultaneously nerve-wracking honors of all time, best man duties. My best bud is getting married next year, and it's become my responsibility to A, organize a killer stag, and B, deliver an award-winning, laugh-a-minute, yet still somehow tear-jerking speech. I've gone to revisit the AOC Toolbox episodes, but for some reason, they're not displaying on my iPhone's podcast app. Lucky for me, I can still find them on your site. Side note here, they can also be found on our free iOS and Android apps. Just go to theartofcharm.com slash iPhone or slash Android. Nice. That said, though, I was wondering if you could give me any tips. I'll heed the obvious ones. No booze, no swearing, no jokes about the bride or the groom's history, no matter how checkered or entertaining. (laughs) With a little help from you guys and the knowledge I've acquired from the pickup podcast days through now, I'm sure I'll be able to ace it. Even if right now it seems like a more daunting prospect than every job interview I've ever had combined. Thanks for all the content. It's genuinely been life changing in many ways. Yours, Chris, the okayest man. Ah, the okayest <laughs> man. Yeah. So I've given a bunch of us man speeches or or just speeches at events and stuff. I'll tell you right now, it's going to be tempting, but save the jokes for the bachelor party. You don't need any – if there's a 1% chance that anything could be misinterpreted, somebody in there is going to misinterpret it because there's going to be a few hundred people at this event. And, you know, the one person who's going to misinterpret it's going to be like the bride's dad. Guaranteed. So don't – just don't do it. What you need to do is get in touch with why you really love this guy. Write it down. Think of all the amazing stuff he's ever done. Don't imagine yourself telling him this stuff. Just think of what you would say, what you know when you're in it to yourself. And then you can start think you can start wrapping your head around saying it. Because the problem is a lot of times we think, well, you know, he's just a really caring guy and he saved my butt on this one thing. Oh, but I'm gonna be embarrassed if I say that. Or oh, he might embarrass him. Just write it all down and then come back to it later. And the idea is to make him look great for the bride's family and and his own family. So don't worry about him being like, oh, that was weird, bro, emo. Like, it's not, It's this is the time for that. You can tell a quick story or anecdote of him doing something, you know, a stand-up guy would do. And talk about the time he told you about the bride and why you knew she must be special. So, like, the way he spoke about her unlike anyone else. Or the way he introduced you to her. The time he knew he would marry her. Him being, you know, weird weird about it. Uh, you calling him out and saying, you like her. You know, the, that kind of thing. The inside insight that you had. The front row seat that you had to their relationship. All of that stuff is gold. And if you keep it shorter and include the above stuff, you'll be golden too. You, it can be tempting to be like, I just have a quick seven-minute story about... No, <laughs> yeah. just keep it short. And I'm talking like, you know, sub two minutes. Yeah, no one has ever said, wow, wow, remember that wedding toast? It was just way too short. No one has ever said that. Yeah, I, I'm thinking like 90 seconds to two minutes is the sweet spot because people are like, uh, it's, oh, oh, wait, it's not over. Wait, it's no, still not over. You're going to be nervous. You will be nervous. That's okay. You're supposed to be authentic. So if you start stuttering and stuff or you start like you got to pause because you're laughing about something or you're tearing up about something, it's totally fine. Call it out. You don't have to hide it. 
because it's not about your performance. This is the one time you're going to give a speech where it's not at all about your performance, and people expect emotion at weddings, and it adds to everything. It adds to everything if you start to tear up a little bit and you're not that guy. It's perfect, and you're going to kill it. You're going to kill it. You just have to put those things together. It's easier than it sounds. You will absolutely crush. That is that is years of best man stuff all you know, coagulating into one little nug there. You're welks. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was best man at my dad's wedding like 28 years ago, and it was about six lines long, and I just left it with be excellent to each other and party on dudes, because that was the year that Bill and Ted's came out. It killed, oh, yeah. and they still talk about it to this day, and it was like 30 seconds long. You got to you gotta go short. And I got to yeah. say, the best best man speech I've ever seen was at your wedding, actually, by a friend of the show, Caleb Bacon. It wasn't the best man, but he was he gave, got up and gave one of the best man speeches, because you, you apparently had to have a few. But man, his it yeah. his followed the exact outline that you just gave, and it was perfect. I still remember it to this day. Yeah, it it. I'll tell you the little wedding hack. If you're not married yet, if you don't want to pick groomsmen and and bridesmaids and all that stuff because you don't want to have to pick a best man and da da da. We avoided this in the coolest way. So the ceremony was shorter because there wasn't this huge procession of groomsmen and, and bridesmaids. We didn't have to pick one of our friends, but you can have multiple people give speeches. So you get all of the good stuff with the whole wedding party, but you don't have to deal with like, oh, we've everyone's got to buy a dress, everyone's got to rent a tux, oh, okay, these people have to be matched. The logistics, you cut down a, a bunch of BS and you get all of the benefit, really, of that. And you can still invite everybody that you want to come and hang and party. So a little wedding hack there for those of you who are uh, unmarried or getting married again, <laughs> no judgments. All right, next up. Hey, Jordan and Jason. First, I want to thank you for all the help. I'm a paramedic living in the Houston area during Hurricane Harvey. I was put in the role of supervisor during the event, and I felt that I was capable due to my years of experience, yet I felt truly able to lead my crews because of the art of charm. I listen to episodes daily. Nice. Second, I'm waiting to branch off and start a second business adventure, whether it be sales, writing, or something else that hasn't shown itself yet. My question is, does a business venture just take time to reveal itself? During that time, what can I do in order to learn things that may help? I want to stay in my career field for another five years, but want to leave it with a flourishing business so that I will be moving up. Thank you so much for all your help and fantastic podcasts. Perplexed Paramedic. Nice. Hey, thanks for helping out our country in a time of need. I'm really glad you're getting value from AOC during these times as well. Makes me feel pretty good knowing we're helping those who help others. I don't know about you, Jay. Absolutely. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah, I would say, look, start a side hustle, learn piecemeal. It's fine. You have five years is an eternity in business. It's a long time, yet it's... it's. It'll go quick, though. It'll go quick. It's a good idea not leaving for five years, you know, continuing your career, stability. That's tons of time to start and grow a business. And your paramedic skills will transfer the soft skills, of course. The technical skills, obviously, will be different. This is okay. Take a certain time per week, like every Saturday afternoon, for example, and study, execute, get that website up there, learn about how to create sales copy, whatever. Make that just like your job. In other words, it's work time. It's not flexible. It's not like, oh, I could Netflix or I could work on my business. No, it's like, all right, from 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. on Saturday afternoons, this is happening. And if you've got other events during that time, you've got to maybe have a backup and you have to do it on Sunday. And and don't don't leave to the guest worker, you're going to end up, well, I skipped last weekend because of this, well, the other weekend I couldn't do that. You're going to end up wasting years of time. Begin learning some basic sales and marketing skill sets. 
AOC podcast will help. There's a ton of resources out there on the web for this stuff as well. Um, don't buy into the whole, like, I'm going to teach you how to run a business in a box. That stuff is baloney. It's all internet marketing. Most of that is not going to be helpful. Learn the actual fundamentals, and we're going over a lot of those here, but you'll, you'll see really great folks who build great businesses also talking about that. Um, so definitely reading books about people who've built great businesses can help, although don't that doesn't replace the execution. So make sure that any reading you're doing is also in addition to execution, not instead of. You're not, you know, don't do that whole, I'm sharpening the axe, you know, for three years when you haven't done anything, but you've read every book from every so-called leadership person. You also want to find out what type of business is for you. But first, you can work on the general skill sets. Like I said, writing and sales, write content you like on a website, start a little platform, share that content via LinkedIn, via social media. Make sure the side hustle is okay, though, with your current workplace. Be open about it. Seek opportunities inside work as well to build those skill sets. You know, if you never know. I know you're a paramedic, but you might work for a company that's like, hey, we're looking for somebody who's going to do this. We're opening it up to internal application. You never know. You might find that you're wanting to seek positions inside your company, not just a side hustle. And remember, there's more to running a business than just the sales and the marketing, which is extraordinarily important. Definitely don't slack on that. But learn basic accounting. Business structures like DBA, C-Corp, S-Corp, which one will be right for you? Learn the basics of business tax and take the extra time to find a good accountant and possibly a bookkeeper if you don't want to do that stuff yourself. Don't leave this stuff until it's too late because it will cost you time and money if you do. And since you're looking at a five-year run-up, there's no excuse not to have this stuff on lockdown before you open the doors. I left this stuff as an afterthought for many of my businesses, and it screwed me and killed a couple of them because then I was scrambling to... Figure out the basics of accounting. What kind of corporation should I have? Oh, I got the wrong type of corp because I just checked a box at LegalZoom and got the wrong one. You know, get this. You've got the time. Study it and it'll just be done when you're ready to go into business. Then you can focus on the stuff that you really want to do. Yeah, good advice. We spent lots. We've wasted a lot of time and a lot of money at AOC trusting knucklehead accountants who are like, oh, yeah, every company should be like this. What's the internet thing you guys do again? How does it, how do you make money online? And we're like, okay, yeah. shoot. Now we've got you know this wrong entity in the wrong state, and it's just dumb crap left and right that we could have researched ourselves had we not been getting it already too late in the game. And then having to redo it, redomicile in the state where you live and pay taxes, and then, oh, you got audited. Oh, let me see your books. Here's a here's a Kleenex with some numbers yeah. written on it. I mean, that's what we were doing. And it's tempting because you're like, look, I'm executing the important stuff. You have so much time. You can do this all right. And it doesn't take that much time to do that much research. You know, if, if you sat down for a weekend and go through what's the best place to incorporate the type of business that you're looking to, are you going to have shareholders? Are you going to be a sole proprietor? That kind of thing. And if you it, do you see in the future that you might want to take on shareholders because that will cost you another $30,000 if you incorporate it in one way and then say, oh, one day I want to have shareholders. Well, that's another $30,000 in reincorporating that you're going to have to put out of pocket that could kill your business. So think about that stuff ahead of time for sure. Yeah, it can really depend. I would say the Great Courses Plus, they probably have a ton of courses on each of these subjects. So if you want to, in fact, we can throw that link in the show notes, but the greatcoursesplus.com slash charm. It's one of our sponsors, of course, but they have courses on bookkeeping, accounting, tax, corporations. I mean, they have everything for this. So I would start with some of that stuff because it's, it's legit and the content is, is smart and on point. So also bear in mind, you're building individual bricks, individual skills now 
like accounting and bookkeeping and tax and all that stuff, to pile up. And later you can build that into the house, which is your new business. So yes, in a way, businesses do take time to reveal themselves. But in the meantime, you will have all of these different skills, which will not only refine what you like, what you enjoy, where you want to go, but you'll feel much more capable. And uh, and frankly, you'll be able to do this a lot better if you have some basic skills. With time on your side, you're, you're going to be fine. It's a great idea to plan ahead like you are now. And uh, yeah, stay safe out there, man. It's, I'm sure it's still... Still kind of dangerous down there in Texas. Johnny, we know if you listen to the show, you are driven. In fact, we're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to recent Indeed survey. We have hired a lot of team members over the last 17 years. Going through endless resumes, well, that's a time sink. But you know what else is a time sink? Interviewing endless people, because they're all going to give you the best face forward. That's why we love Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash charm. Just go to Indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. All right, moving right along. Jordan, I enjoyed Minisode Monday number 65, The Advantages of Being an Amateur. 
I've always believed experience can be a disadvantage when deployed wrongly, and I've also been a fan of asking less experienced colleagues for ideas and views. Now I understand why. We talk to our senior executives about the importance of understanding the difference between complicated tasks, such as brain surgery, which requires rules and processes to follow, and where experience is critical, and complex tasks, such as bringing up kids. Under complex, we say the best approach is to do lots of experiments and then do more of the stuff that works and less of the stuff that doesn't. Listening to Minisode Monday, it struck me that amateurs have an advantage at complex problems because they can experiment. But I wouldn't want an amateur having a go at brain surgery on me. Ain't that the truth? Yeah. Though, interestingly, your example, which was sound engineering, would probably have been considered complicated because rules work, but perhaps because it involves human interpretation of the sound and anything with humans is complex, the amateur approach worked. So from now on, I will focus my experts on complicated stuff and engage amateurs in experiments on the complex stuff. And because most problems involve both complicated and complex tasks, I'll aim to get them to work together. Thanks again. I listen to lots of your podcasts and get a lot from them. If you ever come to the UK, be sure to shout that out. Linda. Hey, Linda. I like this. Uh, Jason, you want to go over the amateur versus expert thing for people who are going, wait, what did I just hear? So this was just a case of where we got some really bad audio in from a guest, and we gave it to our our expert, uh, Mr. Jason Sanderson, and he was having a hard time getting out some certain frequencies, and he kind of just said, that ah, can't get it out. And we both had this new software program, and I'm like, well, let me give it a go. And I just kept playing with it for hours and hours, and I finally figured it out because I was willing to experiment with it because I didn't know that I could not do it. That was kind of the gist of it, and I just kept experimenting. But, you know, it was it's kind of a hybrid of the complicated and complex because I did have – I've got several years of playing around with audio, not anywhere near the, the depth of knowledge that Jason has, but it was kind of a hybrid of both of those and then figured it out in the end on how to fix it, and hopefully everybody's listened to the show by now. Yeah, of course, yeah. I, I like this because, of course, Sanderson can fix really complicated, tough things – and then you happen to fix this one that he thought maybe was impossible because you didn't know that all of the things that he didn't really try because he, quote unquote, knew they wouldn't work, mm -hmm. wouldn't work. So you tried some different stuff and it did work. And it has nothing to do with his level of expertise. Really, any professional would have said this is trashed. Yeah. And you managed to figure out the combination anyway. And this is a great distinction here. You know, I love the complicated versus complex differentiation. And this differentiation, this difference is a good thing to keep in mind when evaluating a task or a problem, because then you can find the best approach to tackle it. Do I need an expert or do I need an amateur here, which is going to be more efficient? And um, it's not always the same. It's not always the same process for this, even similar problems. Jordan, in your most recent Fan Mail Friday, there was a gal who described her experiences with misophonia, which entails a negative response to the sight or sound of certain activities. This isn't as rare as you may think. There's a Facebook group called the Misophonia Support Group with currently over 15,000 members. Uh, we'll link to that group in the show notes at theartofcharm.com slash FMF131. Michelle goes on to say here, different people are affected by different things. For me, it's people smacking their lips, either when they're eating or not. Depending on my mood, I can either want to slap them or plunge a knife into their chest. Signed, Michelle. You know, it's funny. We'll show the Facebook group in the show notes, of course. Misophonia, I got so many emails about this. I think I mentioned this last Friday or the Friday before. We got a lot of emails about misophonia where lip smacking, tapping, certain nails on a chalkboard type of thing, but different types of pet peeves. 
And there's a scale of misophonia that my old college roommate's sister, who also listens to AOC, she sent me this scale of misophonia. And I laughed when I saw this email. Oh, it makes me want to either slap them or plunge a knife into their chest. Actually, the bottom of the scale of misophonia is like, oh, they you feel mild anxiety, but you don't do anything about it or, or whatever. The extreme end of the scale is compulsive violence. There are people that if they are triggered by your lip smacking or this noise or whatever, they'll think about it for years and they might actually attack you and they can't even help it. It's just like this crazy immediate reaction. Yeah. And uh, that's a little scary. Yeah, it's a real thing. So I don't know. I think Michelle was joking. I actually don't think so. I don't think she's joking at all. Yeah, there's a possibility that, because I'm not saying Michelle's a compu- is going to kill someone, but earlier between, there are pieces on the scale that were like, okay, it's not compulsive, but they they have fantasies of killing the person that's responsible for this sound. And, yeah, I mean, I've definitely had the occasional, I would love to punch this person in the face who keeps making that mouth noise on this airplane that I've been exposed to for six hours, but I would never do it. There are people that can't help but think about this, and they'll think about it over and over and over, even after the stimulus has been gone for days, weeks, months. Scary. And sad, because imagine how irritating that really is to replay that over and over in your head. All right, excuse me, and Jason, take it away. Jordan and Jason, I have some perspectives regarding excuse me that might help, or at least expand your perspective and those of the listeners. My first thought when the body strategist said she was interrupted mid-instruction was that perhaps body strategist was getting a bit too detailed with her instructions. The other woman who said she was fat and just wanted to lose the roll around her middle might have been more interested in surrendering to the workout and less interested in explanations. Perhaps body strategist could reevaluate how she presents her course. Of course, you and Jason had a couple good insights about why people will self-deprecate like the fat roll girl. People will sometimes call themselves fat or otherwise self-deprecate themselves for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's a good idea to remember our bad attributes if we want to change them. It's very easy for people to adapt to their situation and forget they have a fixable problem like being fat. It's certainly better to remind oneself rather than having other people do it. Focus requires attention, and if one forgets they have a problem, it won't fix itself. It's like making yourself bend over to pick up beanbags when playing cornhole to remind yourself just how out of shape you are when somebody offers to help. Yeah, this uh, this reference, by the way, the, the guy who wrote this letter, we were playing uh, cornhole at an AOC retreat, and he was having trouble picking up the beanbags because he was... I remember that, yeah. A little out of shape, so I had to help him pick up the beanbags. And you write about self-deprecation being a defensive move. By acknowledging a fault for oneself, one really does take the power away from the sad people who like to attack others by pointing out faults. Therein lies a problem you missed. Once a person acknowledges the personal fault, sometimes the fault becomes firmly attached to the self-deprecating person's identity. Their life can revolve around trying to fix their faults. That's not a good thing. If their life revolves around going to absolution classes, stair-steppers, and dieting, they can never let themselves actually lose weight. What would they do instead? They have no idea. They identify with their faults, and they cannot destroy their own identity. They identify with being fat, having a messy house, which oddly enough are highly correlated, or being the rude, pushy person, or swearing, or being undateable, or any of a multitude of faults. To be otherwise would destroy themselves, so they'll acknowledge the faults, talk about changing them, do the work, but never actually change. Their lives and identity are a never-ending process of change work that changes nothing. Hopefully some of you listeners can use this warning to check in with themselves, Have they made their faults part of their identity? Can they actually live without their faults? 
If they cannot, they probably have a good explanation for why they find it so difficult to change. They will need to reevaluate their personal identity. Signed, Fat Guy in the Woods. Really interesting. I'd never heard anything like this, but it does make sense that people can start to identify with these faults. I don't know exactly what you would do about that. I would imagine this is a longer process, a a therapy process, uh, because you you definitely don't want to have your personal identity wrapped up in faults, although I think our identity is wrapped up in both faults and non-faults for a lot of us. We just have to be able to, one, be aware of that and then separate those and then start making the changes. So yeah, very, very interesting point there. I don't think that body strategist needs to reevaluate how she presents the course, though. I think you can't take people's personal preferences uh, based on their own insecurities and things like that into everything you do, especially if you're the fitness professional and they're the person in the class. I understand how somebody could get roped into thinking like, oh, man, I've been overweight my whole life. I don't even know how to be not that. And that in itself would be a problem because then you're really attached to it. You really cannot get past it. Yeah, you'd have to have some kind of substitution therapy to take the yeah. place of that identity that you're actually trying to get rid of. Right, and a lot of people do this, but it's extreme, right? It's like, now I'm the guy who only eats bean sprouts and works out eight hours a day. I've, I know people like that. Yeah. They were a little overweight, and then they were like, I'm going to go to the gym, and they go to the gym. I, my roommate in college, one of them, he, he wasn't overweight, but he wasn't in shape. He started going to the gym for, I think... I'm not even kidding. It was like six hours a day, seven days a week. Wow. Yeah. That's insane. He was like, it works. And I'm like, well, you're literally not eating that much because you're at the gym all day. And he did a full body workout, like five sets of literally every machine in the gym all day. Six hours, maybe even eight hours. I don't even know. Wow. All day. Every single day. It was just madness. Obviously, he got in shape, but like... Are you kidding? It's terrible for you. That's seriously bad for you. Yeah, I'm surprised it didn't kill him. Yeah, I'm in college. But, you know, he he wouldn't argue with the... He's like, you can't argue with the results. I'm like, you don't know what your blood panel looks like. You have no idea what your joint condition is. Like, come on, dude. Yeah. Um, But people do that. They get attached, and he was always like that, you know. I'm going to study this. Now he has, like, five master's degrees. (laughs) Because he's just like, no, I'm not going to stop studying. I mean, it's, it's strange. But there's a lot of folks like that, and a lot of them are either in great shape or in terrible shape. It really it doesn't seem to discriminate based on that. Interesting correlation with the messy house as well. Susan has a note as well. Hi, Jordan. I wanted to mention something about the social determinants of health and a question you discussed in a podcast. Why would someone choose to make $50,000 when coworkers make $25,000 versus making $100,000 when coworkers make $200,000? You have better health and live longer when you are higher in the hierarchy at work and socially, so the first choice is correct. Your power is relative to those around you. Therefore, the Art of Charm is actually improving the health of its members. Thanks for broadening my world with your variety of podcasts. Signed, Susan. So this is interesting. What she's referring to is there was a a comment or a study about happiness where people are happier if they are making more money than those around them. This was just one, it was just one channel they'd studied. I'm sure it has to do, I'm sure it applies elsewhere. But it was essentially you're happier or report being happier if you're making 50 grand and everybody around you is making 25 versus making 100 grand 
when everybody else is making two hundred. You'll you'll be less happy even though you're making twice as much money. And this isn't like oh purchasing power and all that. Stuff. No, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with where you are slotting yourself and where where you feel others are slotting you on the social hierarchy. And they've they found that it affects health, which is crazy. So essentially, if you live, you could make a million dollars a year, but if everyone you hang out with is making five, you'll feel like crap, and your health will reflect that, which is incredible, and kind of sad, kind of a huge bummer, actually. Were there any workarounds for this? Uh, I'm not sure. I didn't see anything like that. I think, you know, part of it was, I I think part of it was defining your happiness in other ways, but it's not that simple. It's not like, well, everyone likes me, or like, oh, well, I cook the best quiche. Like, I don't think you can do that. <laughs> I'm not sure. I really don't think it, it, that, that you can do that. I think you can become more content with yourself, and you can take yourself out of the running. You know, for example, well, I know people that make more than me that stayed lawyers um, that are partners at firms now and stuff. I'm sure they make more money than me at these top firms. They're miserable, but they make more than me. Uh, but, you know, maybe then again, we're not that close because they're working all the time. So it's hard to say. It really is hard to say. I wouldn't get caught up in this. I wouldn't say like, oh, no, I make less than my friends. I should be miserable now. I forgot to be miserable yesterday. Yeah. I wouldn't Yeah, do that. because it, there's a there's a really sad bit that you were talking about. It's, you know, I want to hang out with people who are higher status than me because I can learn from them. But if it's going to make me sick because I'm not at their level... I'm not going to go change my entire, you know, methodology and lifestyle to go hang out with a bunch of losers who aren't making as much as me and just because they have no ambition just so I can feel a little better, you know? Yeah, yeah. I I think it's probably less about that and and I bet you that it's more um geographic area and workplace because they were talking about this study in the context of a geographic area where you make a you make fifty grand and everybody else in your neighborhood makes uh. twenty five and like you, you you know cars and things like that keeping up with the Joneses type thing not necessarily your social circle and it also makes sense right I mean if you're an expat in a country where everybody else is making less your purchasing power is higher but also you know you can make a lot more I I, I have a feeling it's more like that I wouldn't worry about that in the context of oh crap you only go as high as your five closest friends and my five closest friends are doing so much better than me um, I'm gonna die <laughs> yeah. now yeah ah, cancer it just doesn't Shit. doesn't add up <laughs> yeah it, it just doesn't it doesn't add up for me on that I wouldn't say that that translates but her point Susan's point was that since we're teaching social hierarchy and then those types of skills here at AOC, we're actually helping people become healthier, which is a cool claim. I'm not going to say it's scientific, but I'll take it. <laughs> okay. All right, next up. Hey, Jordan, I'm 31 years old and recently single. I was with the same girl for seven and a half years, but it ended for a variety of reasons, including her deteriorating mental health and the fact that we were both trying to start new careers. Long story short, I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with her, but now I'm back on the dating scene. Here's where I'm stuck. My ex and I were such a good fit on the big issues, not wanting kids, both agnostic, shared vision for the future, etc. And even all the little stuff. We love the same music, movies, and comedies. Now that I'm going to start trying to meet women again, I'm a bit afraid of how hard it's going to be to find a match like that. I'm not really worried if I don't find someone I share all the same tastes with, but I really can't change the fact that I don't want kids. I'm a firm agnostic, I'm incredibly motivated and driven, and I'm heavily involved in fitness. I really want a woman who shares those qualities, and I don't think I can budge on that, but I'm afraid that I'm going to drastically limit the dating pool because of it. I don't know if this is me being picky or just true to who I authentically am. 
But it's overwhelming me thinking about how unlikely it seems that I'll find someone like that again. Not that I'm putting my ex on a pedestal. I just mean that statistically, only a small portion of females would fit those characteristics. How do you recommend someone approach dating when they find themselves deviating from the social norms in many ways? For example, not wanting kids. It's at the point where I'm terrified at the thought of even having casual sex with a woman who wants kids, because what if somehow she gets pregnant? I can't stomach the thought. I was always more of a long-term relationship kind of guy, so trying to figure out how to handle dating now is daunting. Any input is hugely appreciated. All the best. Looking for ladies who don't want no babies. <laughs> Great name. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. First thing that stands out is, oh my gosh, I might never find anyone like this. I'm betting that if we could get inside looking for ladies' head, that he would say that he stayed in that relationship way too long because of that same reason. So that's dangerous right there. You're supposed to be picky. That's the point of dating. It's a screening process. So fortunately, the numbers show that there are literally millions of women who fit the bill for any kind of weird mix of preferences that you could possibly have, no matter what those preferences are, almost no matter what. I think you're maybe worried about getting the process started versus finding the right match, which makes sense. You're also possibly somewhat idealizing how good of a fit you were with your ex. You parted ways for a reason. You probably lasted way too long, the relationship. You mentioned some of those reasons above as well, of course, you know, so I know that's not lost on you. But I would say you, you cannot lower the bar on your core values. Those are key. You got to keep an open mind about everything that isn't one of those core values. So you don't want kids, you're agnostic, et cetera, whatever. Those are your core values. Don't bend on that. Um, but in, so it's tempting to lower the bar. Like, oh, well, maybe, you know, this will work. Da, da. That is a recipe for disaster and unhappiness. But find activities where you might find those people who do match the other characteristics, like sports or fitness activities. You're going to find people who have those core values in those other areas. It sounds backwards, right? Like, it sounds like, oh, I need to find people that don't want kids. So I got to go to the I don't want kids agnostic <laughs> club on meetup.com. That's not going to happen. It's more likely that you find something in an area where you're not super hooked on it. Like, oh, I like I like playing. I like bowling. So you go to a bowling thing and you find somebody who matches those values there. Also, online dating also handles a lot of this because you can just check the boxes. Yeah, there's a lot of check boxes kids. for all of that stuff. Right. Yeah, they're, they're there for a reason. And in the end, this seems more like fear of getting started dating again and, and having real relationships than a real credible fear of not finding a match. Because this, you're a smart guy from the sound of this letter. You know there's a lot of people out there who are going to fit the bill. And if you've been in a great relationship before, it often seems hard to find anyone else who you'll ever be that comfortable with again. But it is very possible. In fact, it's it's likely it's very likely. It's almost inevitable. It just takes more time than we would like sometimes. And there's a saying here at AOC, we say this a lot during boot camp, that it takes more time than you want, but it never takes as long as you might fear, if that makes sense. So it never happens as quickly as you'd like, but it never takes as long as you're worried about it taking. And, um, and Johnny says it with a ring to it. I can't remember his exact wording here, but it, look, it's all about getting off the duff and making sure that you don't lower the bar on core values and making sure that you're executing and taking action, going in the right direction instead of worrying about, am I going to ever find somebody? Well, there's one way to find out. And the answer is yes. It's just a matter of what timeline are we looking at here? All right. Last but not least. Hey, Jordan, I'm nervous and excited to email you as I've listened to the podcast for the past two years and think you give amazing advice and feedback. However, I'm slightly terrified it's going to be some tough love. So here we go. 
I'm a CPA who worked in public accounting at an amazing firm for five years, and I did love my coworkers and my job. The firm culture and values aligned with who I am and what I love to do. However, I worked for a senior manager who didn't seem interested in helping me advance my career. I felt stuck and frustrated after several conversations regarding moving up and advancing with nothing to show for it. So I let a different company recruit me. They told me everything I wanted to hear and how much opportunity I'd have by joining them. Less hours, more pay. Why not, right? Wrong. Immediately when I started, they restructured and the job I was planning on doing became much different. There was no onboarding, no training. It was terrible. I approached my new director and tried to explain this is not what I came here to do and was concerned with my lack of training. Instead of coming up with a game plan to jumpstart things, she told me to reflect and see if I really wanted to be there. I decided to seek advice from my inner circle, and they all said I left my old job for a reason and to give it a shot. It's been 90 days now, and I'm still unhappy and frustrated. At this point, I'm not sure if I made the right decision that this is not a right fit, and I'm self-sabotaging this new job, or if I truly don't enjoy this work and want to go back to a job and employer that I loved. Basically, my gut tells me to try and head back to my old firm, possibly to a new department since I know my old manager has no interest in helping me advance. I miss the thrill and challenge of a huge deadline, and I miss constant client interaction. I'm very outgoing and deadline-driven. But it seems like everyone is telling me to stick it out as this is a new gig and stay for at least a year. Just seems like a long time to be at a job I'm really unhappy at. On the other hand, I feel like I'm giving up and not making much of an effort to better things at this point. Any advice or feedback would be amazing. I'm very career-driven, and it's killing me to feel like this whole job change was an epic fail. Thanks, and keep up your amazing work. Jumped ship without a life raft. Well, okay. Tough love, forthcoming, yes, but sympathy also. Uh, the situation sucks. I feel for you. Dude, yeah, definitely. I feel for you. It's also, it doesn't sound like your fault. You don't, You did all the right things. You listened to yourself when you didn't feel like you could move forward in your old job. You wanted to take a risk and make something better. It's okay to fail. It really is. It sounds like you're in a tight spot and you're worried about some sunk cost because you've already switched jobs. Your friends might be onto something, though. Maybe you did switch jobs for a reason, and now you're minimizing those reasons. I don't know, because they're not detailed above. You know, Maybe you're like, oh, it wasn't so bad. It was great there. And your friends are like, no, you complained about it every day. I don't know. But you're worried about going back to your other company with your tail between your legs, from what it sounds like as well. And that's ego, but it's also very normal. Your inner circle is saying to give it a shot. I understand that. I think they're probably giving you good advice. But, oh, man, 90 days sounds like a shot to me. That's three months. Yeah. You know, you got to feel you got to feel for the place. Unless people are saying, hold on, we're going to get this thing in order. But it sounds like your director was like, oh, well, if you don't like it, GTFO. And that's not cool. You know, go fly kite is not the right answer. Make sure you've exhausted all options, though. Do you get along with your coworkers? Is there anything that fits? If the answer is no, and it's not just discomfort with something new, then it doesn't sound like this is the right place for you. So you have to kind of ask yourself some hard questions here. Am I just uncomfortable because this is new and I've got a stiff learning curve and I didn't think that was going to happen? Or it's like, no, they don't give a crap whether or not I fit in. They don't care to train me. I'm being set up to fail. This isn't the position I wanted. They lied to me about this, that, and the other thing. That's different than I'm feeling uncomfortable because I'm on a stiff learning curve. These are very, very different things. One is healthy. The other is not. One thing I noticed, though, I mean, he, he let himself get recruited, which means that this other company found him, you know, interesting for a position, which means 
another company might find him interesting for a position. So maybe yeah. look for a different company and don't go back to the old company that you left because there was no room for growth. Maybe find a smaller firm where you can grow with the company and get to that place where you really want to be. Exactly. I agree with that. You've been recruited once. It means you're fit for wherever you want to go, most likely, not just this place. I don't know how big the market is or you know, if the, she would have to move. Who knows? There's probably other considerations, but it's something to look at. You don't have to go back to where you were. You can go somewhere else. Documentary of the week. I don't know. Do we have a documentary of the week? I think y'all should just be watching Narcos. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Narcos is awesome. Look, it's historically accurate to a point. It is awesome. So let's just call that a documentary of dubious accuracy. Yeah, I guess. seriously. Well, I mean, they do intercut actual pieces of historical footage. So the things have happened, but there is some of it that has been, you know, uh, dramatized for effect. But I love it, man. I yeah. didn't know they were going to be able to pull off season three, but who boy, did they ever. Yeah, man. And they're not right. Look, the way things unfold in narco land down there in Colombia, Mexico, they're not going to run out of material anytime soon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if they want to do season four, if they haven't already planned it, season four, season five, this guy El Chapo, this drug cartel leader, this guy is just, he's writing his own movie at this point. Yeah. Vanishing, escaping from prison from under a shower, getting visited by freaking Sean Penn. The, the yeah. <laughs> DEA is chasing Sean Penn. They find him. They arrest, I mean, it's just, this stuff writes itself because these guys are so ridiculous. And there's so much money and there's so much intrigue involved. So Narcos on Netflix, not a documentary, but man, go for it. Hope you all enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. We keep everybody anonymous, so you can either make up your own funny name. We can do it. If it's feedback for the show, fans of that, we love to argue like we're right, listen like we're wrong. So don't be shy. Hit us up over here. If you got your own advice for some of the people you've heard from today, let us know. If it's something that can help everyone, might read it on the show. That Fan Mail Friday inbox, though, man, that thing is just exploding. That There's like 500 emails in there. So, you know, if it's like, I'm going to do this thing tomorrow, save, your, save the time. You know, save the time. A link to the show notes for this episode can be found at theartofcharm slash FMF131. Quick shout out to Joey Johnson in South Korea listening to AOC with his squadron. He's a fighter pilot pretty sweet nice. top gun south korea style stay safe over there things look a little unpredictable at the moment and uh, another joey joey svedson of the bad christian podcast they had us on they had me on uh, a few weeks ago as well joey listens to aoc and is a all-around good dude but a bad christian apparently are you in a strange land listening to our familiar voices if so hit me up i'll shout you out here on the show here with jason i'd love to hear from you either way i'm on twitter at the art of charm it's a great way to engage with the show and jason you're on twitter i'm on twitter at jpdef that's jpdef and check out my other podcast grumpy old geeks go to gog.show for how to subscribe all right don't forget about the art of charm challenge as well text aoc that's aoc to 38470 or just go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. We help you with your networking skills, your social capital, networking charisma. It's for both guys and gals so check that out. We take it step by step becoming better at making some personal and professional connections. Lots of little drills and exercises in there. It's all about forward momentum. You can get there from theartofcharm.com slash challenge or by texting AOC that's AOC to 38470. 
More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live residential boot camps that we run every single week in L.A. If you really want to dig into this stuff and work on your AOC skills with us as your coaches, that's theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And we take cryptocurrency, so, you know, go ahead and transfer some of that blockchain on over. Go ahead and rewrite some blocks. Now stay charming, get out there and connect, and leave everyone better than you found them.